This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Cool Zone Media. Hello and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff. It's part four. Part four. Of, uh, part four. Yeah, part four. Dun, 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 dun. And I'm your host, Margaret Hilljoy, and my producer is Sophie Ray Lichterman. Hey. And my guest is labeled Cool Zone Media. <laughs> That's, true. That's right. I was just yeah, reading off of this screen. Um, I got my it. guest is Mia. Hi, Mia. Mia Wong. Wong. Hi. I got. I got a. I got a message like right when we, at, like right before we started recording the first episode for Robert. That was like, I got logged out of the Cool Zone account. I was like, whoops, sorry. <laughs> I guess it's just, I guess. I, just, just, just. I got him his own account, and he's never used it, <laughs> not once. <laughs> Anybody surprised? No. <laughs> also part of Cool Zone Media is Ian, our audio engineer. Hey, Ian. Hi, Ian. Hi, Ian. And distinct from Cool Zone Media, but our friend is Unwoman, who wrote our theme song. And also distinct from Cool Zone Media, but our friend is the worker struggle of 1919 to 1922 in southern Argentina. Yeah, yeah. God, it's so dry when you phrase it that way. Like, oh yes, like I used to like be like, I want a history book, and then it would be like, the Workers' Council of the following country from 1922 to 1922 and a half, and I'm like, I mean, fortunately, this book is actually called Rebellion in Patagonia, and it's actually like really readable and amazing. Um, it's by Osvaldo Bayer. Uh, he had to flee the country for writing a history book. We'll talk about that at the end because this is part four. Of a four-parter, which means it's the end, which unfortunately usually doesn't mean it's the peak of everyone's lives. However, I promise you there's so much more interesting shit to come, including literally my favorite assassin in history, which is saying something because I do a podcast that includes a lot of anarchist history (laughs) (laughs) and we do a lot of other stuff, but that is one thing that we are known for. I've, I've, I, I was promised this assassin in episode one, and I've been waiting for it the whole oh, time. Yeah. So I'm excited no, he, to finally get there. He, yeah, no, it's we're not there yet. He's, there's some more 
stuff that needs to happen, but it is good. It is, well, it's interesting. It is not boring. I promise you that. What I can promise you is that Varela, the lieutenant who oversaw the military part, he was satisfied. He, you know, successfully negotiated this piece, right? Where we last left our heroes. They just um, successfully won a strike by being all kinds of wild and using diversity of tactics, including taking hostages and also striking and boycotts in order to get the bunk beds taken out and people to be treated vaguely decently on these sheep farms. Um, and so Varela's like, okay, I worked out a peaceful solution. The workers are satisfied too. They won. The owners, they're not so satisfied. Uh, they wanted to drown the country in an ocean of blood. In order to not give people cots. Yeah, I know. So it's really, I, I don't think it's something that like, like history books are really bad at getting across just how unbelievably bloodthirsty these people are over stuff that is like, I just, I, yeah, I I, caught really. I know. (sighs) And like all of the press, of course, is like, Oh, these anarchist bandits who are robbing. I'm like, actually almost all of the robbing. I mean, okay. The anarchists were doing some robbing to be fair. But, like, no one was obeying the law, and the far bloodthirstier side was the owners. So Varela goes up back north, and someone asks him, they're like, well, what if it just starts right back up again? And Varela's quote about it is, if it starts up again, I'll come back down and shoot the lot. The anarchists immediately look for the next struggle. They, like, won, right? But they're like, well, we got to keep this going. The meat packing plants in the city... The workers there have a contract in which they're shipped in and paid very, very little. And what little they're paid, they're only paid at the completion of the contract. If they are fired for any reason, oh, like for labor organizing, let's say, they lose everything they've earned, right? So you're completely at the whims of your uh, employer. So the the anarchists are like, all right, we're going to organize. This, the strike only lasts a week and it fails and it fails for two reasons. First, because the workers are new to the area and they're not as embedded in the radical culture of the area. So they don't have as strong of a culture of solidarity. I'm not trying to like blame them. It's just, you know, they're not practiced, right? And second, because there's a split within the labor movement. The neutral syndicalists have finally sort of succeeded at their goal of fucking everything up. And so they split off from the larger anarchist union. And this neutral syndicalist union is heavily celebrated by the conservative press. The like, all of the right-wing papers like, hooray, we have good workers now who aren't evil anarchists, you know? And the new union is, it gets a little blurry because there's also this right-wing union that happens. And I think that the two are conflated a little bit. I actually think that they're separate. But an actual right-wing union also starts at this time. And it's called the Drivers and Mechanics Union. And they are an anti-anarchist union. That's like their thing. But there's an interesting thing about this union. Uh, It's not, there's no drivers or mechanics in it. Oh my God, it's a Joe the Plumber thing again. It is started by, at least according to their detractors, it is started by various pimps, strike breakers, patriotic league guys, and other enemies of the working class. None of them are drivers. (sighs) And then these like nine guys, the nine people in the union, they try to occupy the workers league offices. But Antonio Soto <laughs> just shows up and personally throws them out. 
I'm, I'm assuming this is very literal too. Yeah, like. yeah, no, totally. <laughs> like, imagine the bar saloon. Only he's probably careful not to break his own window. You know? <laughs> yeah, he throws him out the door because he's being polite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I have a feeling he had help doing this, but. And so the anarchists call for a meeting of all the drivers and mechanics because they're like, "Oh fuck, are you like guys not happy? Like, what's going on?" And all the drivers and mechanics are like. What? No, we're with you. Those are literally just nine <laughs> assholes pretending to be us. <sighs> and the workers do get a win. They lose this meatpacking strike, but they do get a win. Every store they've boycotted gives in, rehiring the workers and pays fines to the unions. And the reason that this tactic works so well is it pits the business class against itself. I actually recently saw this meme. There's like a poster going around being like, well, the, the rich have class solidarity. Why don't you or whatever, you know? They don't always, right? By boycotting certain businesses, other businesses boomed. So those businesses started supporting the workers because the class solidarity of the bourgeoisie was broken by the anarchists. Meanwhile, the anarchists ride around ranch to ranch and they're getting the workers ready for another strike if the bosses don't comply um, this coming uh, spring, September. This time, though, they're preaching pacifist resistance. And the right wing, the, the union of owners, is running around telling the bosses, don't comply. I know we signed a trade agreement. I know it was ratified by the government and a lieutenant colonel oversaw the whole thing. But we could just not do what we promised. That's how we got this land in the first place, probably. Actually, I don't know about the whatever. It's all bullshit anyway. And the owners, they are not preaching pacifism. They're like, also, we can just kill all the workers if we want. There's always more. And so they start getting even more guns. That winter, L-68 and some of the bandits disappear into Chile and out of history. But some of the others, including El Toscano, the Tuscan, he's been here since the beginning. I just didn't include his name because there's... When you got a guy named L-68 around, you, you pick him as the person to yeah. talk about. <laughs> um, El Toscano and his crew, they stick around and they're still being anarchist bandits. They call themselves the Red Council. Um, and there isn't a, Wait, that's a, that's a sick name. <laughs> I know. I know. They're kind of cool. They wear red band, uh, armbands as they like run around and like <laughs> rob owners and shit. Um, and I think they mean it. I think they are socialist anarchists. Uh, but like the, because there's not a strike anymore, the like moderate anarchists in the cities are, are like, look, we got to kind of distance ourselves from you. You know, like we're not with you on this. Right. And I like to think L-68, he was like, all right, well, we can't band it anymore. The strike is over. And he went to go retire in Chile. That's what I like to think happened to L-68. Or he's a vampire. And I met him in Tucson in 2003. And he had a sword. I mean, there's, there's no one's ever seen him at the same time. So yeah. you can't rule it out. I absolutely cannot rule it out. And I don't remember what number that guy went by. So, And... So the rest of the union distances themselves from El Toscano and his crew. And, but they're trying not to be total shits about it. They're like, hey, we're not with you, but we're not like against you, right? That's what they try to do. But a few union members snitch out the bandits. Oh, no! And the rest no! of the union, the rest of the union is like, what the fuck? Yeah. Just because we don't affiliate with them doesn't mean you can fucking snitch them out. Yeah. And that's the end of the Red Council. Um, no, they get arrested because they get betrayed by these uh, people who are in the fucking anarchist union. That 
that's so sad. I know. Oh. I think they have a higher survival rate than the rest of the workers because oh, they're no. in jail. <laughs> oh, no. Everything keeps boiling over all across the region. Like, we're, they're supposedly in peacetime, right? But it, not really. In one smaller town, a local businessman, he fires into the air trying to disperse a workers' rally. He's like, get back to work, you rabble, you know? And so then he's tackled and disarmed uh, by the workers. So he fires all of his workers. So all of the other workers boycott him, like the rest of the city. No one will, like, deliver him supplies, anything, right? All of those boycotting workers are then fired by their own companies. Antonio Soto's quote about it, as they decided to general strike, of course they're going to general strike in response to this. There's no doubt, right? No one was like, I wonder if they're going to general strike. His quote about it is, we may die of hunger, but so will they. You know, that's an incredibly hard lie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shopkeepers have to work their own counters and unload their own ships. More and more federal troops keep rolling in. Everything is waiting on sheep shearing season. They're like, I wonder if the owners are going to honor their word. Like, is this going to calm down or is this going to go wild? At the start of October, it's working a little bit. Some bosses are honoring the agreement. Those that refuse face strikes. This is all too much for the cops who, of course, start beating and arresting organizers and strikers. They're cops. I know, as I say, they do it like it's their job. And I'm like, God, that's their job. Yeah. It all could have gone fine, but once again, the police break the hell out of the law. Um, You know, running around beating people up just for striking and shit like that. So the anarchists do the thing they always do. They call for a general strike. Uh, Workers unfurl the red and black flag over ranches and they go on horseback spreading the word. I think they use the red flag too, but I like the red and black more, so I'm including that one because they use both. And President Irigoshen, he sends Lieutenant Colonel Varela, who negotiated the last deal. Um, I think even with the same, like, your the, like, thing they told him is go do your duty. Just a month or so prior, Argentina, because it's now held by the, the liberals, right? The radicals. Argentina abolished the death penalty. The first fucking thing that our Germanophile lieutenant does when he shows up is he announces he's forming firing squads. Ah, ah, love the rule of law. Inc- incredible things happening here in... <laughs> legal land <laughs> yeah so and why exactly the, rad- the radical government acted like this is a matter of historical debate neither neither of the two sides of this debate make it look good either it caved to the army which skewed far right and they were like afraid of a coup right um, which happened 10 years later so or 8 years later 10 years later whatever or it caved to the upcoming elections and pressure to have no disturbances in the country so either they caved to their own base or they caved to the right wing's base. Either way, they, they caved. So strike number two starts. This time around, the strike doesn't have as much support. The anarchist union, unionists have distanced themselves from the anarchist bandits and even snitched them out. So there's no longer a guerrilla force, right? The neutral syndicalists are siding with the establishment. So a large, minor, a, a large minority of the urban working class sits aside and sits, they sit this one out. The middle class was siding the estab- with the establishment too this time more and more because the propaganda against the lawless strikers was starting to take hold. And the anarchists, who are mostly immigrants and indigenous workers, were left alone. 
they're still the majority of the working class, but they're no longer like a super majority and they're no longer so well armed or supported by other groups. They do it anyway. In only a week, they mobilize the entire southeast of the province. Soon, work on every ranch in the south has stopped. Wow. And they did it like this, to quote Osvaldo Bayer. Quote, The delegates approach a ranch, speak with the peons, commandeer weapons, and take food as needed in exchange for vouchers signed by Soto. If the owners or administrators are present, they are taken hostage. They also try to take all of the ranch's horses with them, if possible, to avoid being hunted down. But no police detachments are attacked. They also only take men hostage, women and children are left at home, and a few workers stay in each place to attend to the needs of the, the women and children who've been left at the ranches. So effectively, they're kidnapping people, then they're just rounding up all of the workers there and going on to the next place? Like, is it just yeah. like a, a column forming, basically? Yeah, basically. Um, and I think pretty soon it's like a bunch of different columns, and they're like splitting up and going to all these different places. Yeah, they're like, grab the horses, grab the guns, grab the men, let's go on to the next place. Um, and then all of the stuff that they take, they're leaving signed receipts. They're like, we're not bandits. <laughs> um, they're like, we <sighs> took four guns and four loaves of bread or whatever. Signed Antonio Soto or whoever is the guy <laughs> in charge, you know? And the hostages are treated well and they're given the same food as everyone else. And we know this because they said this when they were released. They were like, no, we were treated well. Um, the workers... They only have one demand, or they have two demands. One is that they, the government released their prisoners, right? The people who've been arrested for organizing the strike. <laughs> the, the, eternal, the eternal general strike demand. I know. However, I think that it's a necessary demand. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and also that the owners agree to the terms they've already agreed to. It is a general strike to get them to obey what they, their own word, you know? This is one of those things where it's like, I always feel kind of weird, like both covering and being in labor actions where it's like, it's like, you know, like you see this now, you have all these massive strikes over like, you know, I don't want to be crushed by a meat grinder. Yeah. But <laughs> it, I think it, it helps for this stuff too. Cause it's like, no, no, like people, like people were like taking hot, like, like seizing ranches and taking hostages over abide by the contract. Yeah. So we like, already it's not, signed. Yeah. Yeah, so like like this stuff is just like I don't know. This is this is just the state of class warfare. It just looks like yeah. this a lot. Totally. And it's funny because like it's easy to present these people as wildly out of line, these evil anarchist bandits, when they're literally like, I mean, I am not an Argentinian lawyer in early 20th century. I think they're legally in the right here. <laughs> you know? You're probably not allowed to take hostages. Anyway, only the state's allowed to do that. This is the largest sympathy strike in Argentinian history. And it's the largest one I've ever read about anywhere. With a sympathy strike being like, we are striking in, in solidarity with this other thing or these prisoners and stuff, you know? There's armed columns of hundreds of workers with red and black flags and red flags that control all the rural roads in Patagonia oh, yeah. at this point. And for years after this, the official record claimed that anarchists went around murdering owners. There is no evidence of a single owner being killed except one. He was the hostage of workers and then the army shot him because the army ignored the hostages and attacked the workers. The workers, when he was shot, tried to save his life and failed. 
that's a that's a real classic army thing too of okay yeah. so we 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 murdered this guy and we're gonna blame everyone else for doing this yeah this has no this certainly hasn't happened anywhere in the modern world um currently but you know what is in the modern world currently stuff products and services yeah there's so many products and services you could have what, what's a good product and service um you could uh, pay someone to tell you how many geese are in a pond. You could be like, I don't have time to go geese watching. And you could just find someone and pay them to go watch geese for you. And then just pay them well. Otherwise, you'll have the geese watchers on strike. And then it could go really badly. And then they could <laughs> break into your house, kidnap you. They'll probably treat you fine. But it's all because you didn't pay your geese watchers well. Is this show sponsored by the Geese Watchers Union, which is totally a sensical thing? And then whatever these other ads are. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. And we're back. So then the army comes, right? Um, and at first, the workers are relieved. They want an arbiter because the bosses are going back on their word en masse. They broke their yeah. employment agreements and they were killing people for striking. So they're like, yeah, thank God Varela is back. He's the guy who made this all work last time. He was a little bit, you know, he's like not totally on our side, but like whatever. There's a problem Varela's there to murder everyone. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if like something a... broken him, but go ahead. Th this is a real decade of people going, "Oh, hey, the army's here!" Then the army shows up and kills everyone. This is this is going to happen a lot in the twenties. It's a real yeah, a little, <sighs> little problem. Yeah. So, 
small bands of workers. First, he like comes up on all these small bands of workers, right? And whenever they see the army, they like by and large surrender. A couple of them are like, ah, some guys. And they like shoot revolvers. And then the other people are like, we have Mausers. And they're like, cool, we give up, you know? Um, but most, for the most part, they're like, very specifically, they're like, the army is not our enemy. Like the only time that there's like a real engagement between the two, it's when the anarchists think that the army is the cops. Uh. And, and that happens once later. So these small bands of workers, they see the army and they surrender their weapons um, because this is the man who negotiated their contract. And then Varela and his officers kill almost half the people who surrender each and every time. Jesus Christ. Then he comes up on one of the larger masses of workers and he's like, give up your hostages and we'll talk. And they're like, okay, that makes sense. So they give up their hostages as a sign of goodwill and to show their interest in negotiation. Varela takes it as a sign of weakness and he treats them as enemy combatants. This is how he excuses the fact that he's executing people. Um, however, you're not allowed to do this in war either. Yeah, I was about to say, um, the, the, you very, there's a whole thing. Like, yeah. like the, the extent to which you're not allowed to shoot your prisoners, I, like I'm, I'm pretty sure you're legally not allowed to shoot a prisoner if they're trying to, even if they're trying to escape. Whoa. Like, I think you have to chase them. I, yeah, I, like, I I'm, I'm pretty sure that is actually how I wish the laws the I could be wrong rule. about that. But, well, again, like, the cops, yeah. cops do not abide by the, no. by the laws of war. Neither do most armies, to be fair. But cops especially do not, yeah, yeah. like, absolutely do not abide by the laws of war. Yeah. Yeah. So he treats them as enemy combatants, uh, even when they flee, even when they try to surrender. And here's where it all gets real dark. I'm going to... the Time for dark times. Many of them are forced to dig their own graves. Uh, one of them who survived digging his own grave, like he's like freed at the last minute. I like, always wondered... It's, and, and not to be like... I just like always wondered why people dig their own graves, right? And, um, and, so, and now I got to read a firsthand account. And he's like, because I was hoping something magical would come and save me in any like last few moments I could have alive I wanted to have. And for this random guy, it, it, it worked. Others are burned at the stake. They're tied to the posts of barbed wire fences and burned alive after being Jesus. robbed of valuables. Uh, they are all robbed. We're going to keep talking about this. Um, others are forced to carry the gasoline that will be used to rudely cremate their bodies in the hills. And Varela's like, when he's reporting, he reports about battles where he's like, ah, yes, my 31 soldiers bested 430 strikers without taking a single casualty. That's that's not a battle. That has never happened. Two armed forces shooting at each other with more than 10 to 1 odds where the smaller side takes not a single casualty. That was not a battle. No one shot at those people. Yeah, it was a firing yeah, that squad. That was a massacre of surren surrendering workers and it was not an army. Uh, also, the army would show up with white flags to negotiate and then just kill everyone. Meanwhile... The media presents this strike as if it's two different things that are somehow contradictory and no one cares. One is that it's, uh, it's, it's all bandits, right? And the other is that it's an invasion of brown people from Chile. Um, and these were chilotes for, for them. And the indigenous workers are not invading. They categorically cannot. Anyway, yeah. And like maybe some of that, maybe they're from, <sighs> they probably came from Chile, right? Whatever, anyway. People probably know where I stand about this sort of thing. So it is also, it's not discussed much in the histories, but I have 
little doubt that it is the racialization of these workers that allows this large-scale massacre of them. The European immigrants among them absolutely died too. But, you know, it doesn't matter. They're all getting murdered, and there's absolutely a racialization to the fact that the, this wild, this large-scale murder can happen. And then all of the workers, the ones who are spared and the ones who are killed, are robbed by the soldiers, just like everything they own. And these are largely a group of people who have no homes and go from job to job, but they're not, like, broke, right? So they carry all of their wealth with them. So there's actually a lot that is being stolen from them. And survivors are also being forced to burn their identity papers. One Chilean worker who survived wrote about it all. He's an anonymous guy. He, for some weird reason, didn't want to put his name on this. Yeah, I wonder why. We didn't fight because that was never our intention. We had resolved to avoid any confrontations with the army and to avoid bloodshed because our quarrel wasn't with the soldiers. We wanted to carry out simple actions that would prevent the ranchers from finishing the season's tasks, shearing and branding, so that the scale of their losses would frighten them, and we would be able to secure the release of our imprisoned comrades. But we were very mistaken. The ranches had decreed our total extermination, and these orders had to be carried out no matter what. And this guy, the guy who wrote that, who didn't want his name in it, he actually was executed too. He survived being executed. He was shot in the elbow in the chest, and then he played dead. He spent a day in a pile of corpses and then dragged himself miles come nightfall to caves in the hills and bandaged his wounds. The army outlawed all labor unions. All workers had to carry special papers to allow them to exist in public or to move about on roads or get hired. Right. So this is where like the literal serfdom stuff comes. Yeah, it's like, well, it's, it's like they've, I mean, they've. Like this is the is it, like isn't isn't this literally the 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 system that was implemented at the start of apartheid? That like if you were if you were a black worker, you had to like carry this pass around in order to go places, probably. And these laws, Varela had no legal authority to make laws. Yeah, he's he's a colonel. He's a lieutenant colonel. Or he's a lieutenant. Okay. What? <laughs> he's an army guy. Later, it's gonna come up where people are gonna be like. Wait, you did what? But that's not yet. After this, after, uh, there's two groups of workers still standing, each with about 600 people. One is Antonio Soto's in the farthest southern reaches, and the other was led by Fason Grande, Big Knife. I think he's closer to the coast. I'm not certain. Soto and his group raided ranches, took men hostage, left behind promissory notes for all captured goods, and also he like outlawed drinking and it kind of worked. You know, <laughs> he was like, oh, what if we're all sober? And he would like when they would like raid places, he'd set the alcohol on fire, um, which honestly makes a lot of sense. If you are running around marauding, you probably should do it sober so that you're not. Yeah. Doing a bunch of real bad stuff, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not a terrible idea. Yeah. Soon they're alone in the hills. with, But also it's like that had to get passed by a vote. Because I, I, what I know about their command structure is what's about to come up where they're voting on shit. So I assume that the no drinking, anyway, whatever. Soon they're alone in the hills. With, they have captives and they have dwindling support. Soto wants to stay on the run. He's like, we just got to keep doing what we're doing until we win. Others are like, man, fuck it. We're all about to die anyway. Let's just turn and fight. Fuck them, you know? Others, most of them, 
they want to negotiate. They're like, ah, oh, it's Varela. It's going to work, you know, because there's not really a good way to like totally know what's happening, you know? Yeah. And so they vote and the nego- the pro-negotiation people win. And so they send two negotiators who are promptly marched into the river and shot. The anarchists vote again and they vote for surrender. Soto says his final piece. He says, I am not meat to be thrown to the dogs. If my comrades are staying to fight, then I will stay. But my comrades don't want to fight. So he and a dozen others ride off into the darkness. And he's the last connection between the rural strike and the worker society. So with his departure, so ends the worker society. Um, He also, by being the guy who in the end was like, fuck this, I'm leaving, winds up the only organizer of note who survives. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense given that there's, you know, the army's just decided to just straight, just straight up do an extermination campaign. Yeah, and and I'll talk about how they pick them now. When, so the surrendering, worker, surrendering workers are about 150 of them, which I think is probably about a third of them, uh, maybe a quarter of them, are just executed on the spot. One is a 15-year-old boy who they pick up shortly after who might have been running messages for the strikers. He shouted murderer as the firing squad ended his life. A German man, Otto, whose last name is lost to history, he said in Spanish, this is not how you kill people. Not even in the European war where I fought for four years did they ever execute unarmed prisoners. Not entirely sure that's true, but... (laughs) Fair enough, but it's not allowed. But still, like, Jesus Christ, like, yeah, it's like, imagine, imagine, yeah, you get through World War I and like... (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) yeah and this is how you fucking go like god and then his last words were send my regards to the old country two other german men or otto and one of the two german men before they're executed they have a last wish and their last wish is that they could embrace one last time before dying because they had traveled together their entire lives and that their death was a small price for the fantastic life that they had had together oh so, fuck yeah, possibly gay German anarchist couple yeah. dying together in the south of Argentina. I'm glad you lived your lives. I'm glad you loved each other. And I'm glad, I don't know, I, I believe them when they said that this was all worth it. You know? And before they were burned or buried, each of the workers was robbed one last time by the ruling class. Which is this really thing of, like, who was actually the bandits here? Like, oh, yeah. It's no question. Really? Like, it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah. The sober people, the the sober people who are leaving promissory notes. Sorry, I borrowed your guns. You know? Yeah. However, okay, there's there's eight Chileans who escape by being clever as fuck. And like songs were sung about them 50 years later. They were like, hey, hey, Varela, we know where Antonio Soto is. Give us horses and we'll go get him and we'll drag his ass back here. Fuck that guy. (laughs) And the army is like, well, we're not very smart. So here's a bunch of horses. (laughs) Incredible. And the Chileans ride out into the darkness and out of history (laughs) and into mythology. Good good for them. I know. Good for them. I hope, I hope, I hope they had, I hope they're just like in the mountains having a good time or something. Yeah. (laughs) And the only workers who are spared are the ones whose bosses vouch for them as good hard workers in the most glowing terms. Which is like wild because some of the owners aren't even that mad during all of this. 
And so they're kind of in this weird position too. Some of them. Most of them are like, fuck yeah, kill all these motherfuckers, right? But some of them are like put in this position where they are like begging to have their workers' lives spared by the army. A few weeks later, so there's like one group left, Fasson Grande, Big Knives. And he is a cart driver who never went to school. He surrenders too. Once more, he's convinced that Varela will treat with him because once again, the army isn't the enemy. Fasson offers Varela his hand. The lieutenant colonel refuses it. And Fasson is robbed and taken out back. They steal the sash he uses as a belt and he is shot while trying to hold up his pants. He's left half buried and forced to watch his comrades executed. By all accounts, Fasson was generous and humble. He gave away what little money he had. He was always doing favors for everyone. When one of his friends was on the run from the law, he brought the guy groceries in the hills every single day. There's like times he gives like literally all of his money to random families. And he's just a fucking cart driver, you know? And with that final surrender, the strike is over. A few stray anarchists are killed over the next month. But this isn't where our story ends. You know how sometimes we have to stop in the middle of what we're saying because this strange thing interferes with our capacity to speak and (laughs) our voices change tenor and we start talking about ads as if we are possessed in some sort of seance? Mm -hmm. I have experienced this. It is... It's about to happen. Terrifying feeling. (sighs) Here it goes. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. And we're back. So wages drop by a third as the bosses ignore the agreement they'd signed that had been ratified by the National Labor Board. And 
On January 1st, 1922, there's this huge banquet thrown by the landowners for their hero found in Patagonia. And this is the, you know, the ostensible radical is having this banquet thrown for him by all the conservatives. The Argentinian owners stood up and they sang the national anthem for him. And the oh, British owners, geez. yeah, and the British owners stood up and they sang, for he's a jolly good fellow. How are the Brits just, I, there, every moment in history where the Brits appear, it's like they do the exact same thing, the exact thing you'd expect them to do in the most sort of like unhingedly violent way possible. I know, I know. And it's like, I when I think of them invading Ireland, I think like well before any of this would have been possible, I imagine them with pith helmets and being like, radio, jolly good, as they like, you know, I don't know, whatever, anyway. So they sing this terrible song for him. And then there's a second banquet too. And two of the ranchers actually refused to attend it because despite their class interests, they were like, this murder is bad. Right? Yeah, it's like you burn people alive. Like that's that's a bit much. Even for- yeah, like that's <laughs> even by like, like, right. That's not a, we just wanted to be in charge of everyone, not murder everyone. Everyone else was fine with it, but at least two people, you know, had... They drew a line somewhere, and I I commend them for that. And there's another group of people, another group of workers who've been left out of the story so far, and they're not fucking happy about this either. On February 17th, not 2022, 1922, uh, despite what I wrote in my script, because I'm incapable of writing dates accurately, I... It's funny, I usually actually write 18 instead of 19 or 20. Like, when I write the modern dates, I always... this is Oh, no. <laughs> I'm so used to doing shit that happens in the 1800s that, like, if something happens in, like... You know, like, being like, ah, I was born in the 1880s. No, I was born in the 1980s. No, that's... Um, anyway, the point of this. February 17th, 1922. The soldiers show up to a brothel called La, La Catalana, and they are run out. By the workers who are wielding Hell brooms. yeah. Yeah. And, and they shout, murderers, pigs, we don't sleep with murderers. And, and all five of the workers, they had 100% of the workplace, they refused their services to, to the workers. So the cops come and arrest all the sex workers as well as the musicians in the brothel. Literally for not sleeping with people. Which is bad. But... You know. Yeah, you know, you you would you would think, but like no, I mean it's, it's cops, right? It's like yeah. neither neither morality nor legality has ever stopped a cop from doing anything. So yeah, no, and like clearly their position on strikers has been made plain by the yeah. people who had to dig their own graves. Eventually, word of the massacre reaches the anarchists of Buenos Aires up north, and they are of course immediately out in the streets. The syndicalists, like, they try and stay on the sidelines until they just hear the sheer scale of it. There's about 1,500 workers, uh, mostly rural anarchists, um, most of them quote-unquote Chileans, with a few immigrants from Europe among them. And they'd been executed by the liberal government that had just abolished the, the death penalty. So even the radical civic union, Varela's own party, was like, oh, come now, that's a little bit much, isn't it? Like, you did what? Um, yeah. 
And, and I mean, they set him up for this, right? They were like, oh, yeah. do your duty. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And then we're like, what? You did your duty? How dare you? You know? Um, I don't really have any sympathy for the man, but that that is as best as I can tell what happened. He leaves Patagonia a hero, right? But he gets to Buenos Aires, and no one will come to greet him from his own party or from the city except the fucking right-wing militia, the Patriotic League. And even they, like, I don't think they're there with, like, flowers and, and fanfare. I think that they're, like, waiting to jump anyone who fucks with them. Huh. Um, socialist politicians decry the massacre. The radicals block any investigation and quietly demote Varela to teacher at cavalry school. They don't actually demote him. He stays a lieutenant colonel, but, like, you know, they don't let him be in the field. They gave him a desk job. Like yeah, they gave thing. him like they found they found the mildest punishment they could possibly do that was tech that if you like squint properly is still a punishment. Totally. They were uh, like, how do we get this man out of the public eye while we quietly block any investigation from happening? One, there's that one good radical civic union guy, the judge, the progressive judge Vinyas. And he goes back down to Patagonia. And he has the goal of releasing the remaining workers. There's a fuck ton of people still in prison, right? Everyone who didn't get murdered. Um, or trick the fucking yeah. army into giving them horses <laughs> so that they can be like, oh yeah, we're totally going to go get Soto. Give us your horses. <laughs> and he goes down there, Vinyas goes down there, and he takes statement after statement of the murder and the theft that all of these prisoners suffered at the hands of the army. And the statements are filed away and they're soon to be locked up by a military dictatorship and they're not gotten for a very long time. Those men never see any justice. They are, however, released. So that's better to have been robbed successfully than murdered. That's what I always say. Yeah, I get to get the world's tiniest yay. Yeah, totally. I mean, I guess that is like you know, like when you get mugged, you're like, well, that sucked. Guess I'm alive. You know? <laughs> like Yeah. I mean I but I feel I feel like it's I feel like it's worse when like the state mugs extremely you. large number of your friends have been also killed. That's, That's like, true. Well, That's true. If the state killed half of my friends and then robbed me, I wouldn't be like, eh, at least I'm not in prison. I'd be like Yeah. My life has no meaning but to see the destruction. Well, actually, Speaking of people who are really upset, <laughs> we're finally coming to our pacifist assassin. Yay! We come to Kurt Gustav Wilkins. Kurt Wilkins is a German anarchist, a Tolstoyan anarchist, which is to say he is a pacifist Christian anarchist. And not to bring up anything that's gotten you in trouble on the internet, there's this thing where people try to pretend like there were no Christian anarchists or religious anarchists <laughs> in history. And so they're always like a Tolstoyan anarchist, which is true. That means he was a pacifist Christian anarchist, which there were a lot of. To be fair, he's about to do some really unpacifist shit. So very funny. Yeah. Also, I no comment. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyone who that's a, that's a deep cut from back when Twitter was Twitter. Oh, God, <laughs> men were men. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Twitter was Twitter. Anyway, Kurt Wilkins 
was born in 1886, the year of the Haymarket Affair. But in Germany, not in Chicago. He wasn't like born from the aftermath of the bombing or whatever. Anyway, that, that, is, would, that would have been cool, though. If it was just a person who was just born at Haymarket while the thing was going on. Yeah, totally. Totally. You just, you just listen to your shoulder, just like handed a destiny down. It's like, yeah. well, here you go. His, his mom like throws the bomb as soon as, <laughs> as soon as Kurt pops out. And they were all German there, most of them. Anyway, if you want to hear more about the Haymarket Affair that we're talking about, which is the reason we have Mayday, go back and listen to the very first episode. Just keep scrolling until there's no more scrolling, and you will find me talking to Robert Evans about the Haymarket Affair. Kurt is blonde-haired and blue-eyed, and he is raised in a working-class family as a minor in Germany. When he's 24... He emigrated to the U.S. because he didn't have any money because it sucks being a minor anywhere. There's nowhere in history that being a minor, besides like maybe being the owner of a mine who calls yourself a minor, has ever been good. When he's 24, he emigrates to the United States and he becomes a hobo, which is a better job. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, at the time, it involves a lot of mining. He also becomes an anarchist pacifist and a wobbly. Apparently, he like came a little bit of a Marxist and he like showed up and was like, oh no, I figured out what's up. Like, I'm into uh, Tolstoy, anarchy, and the industrial <laughs> workers of the world. So, if you had Margaret references the industrial workers of the world on your cool people <laughs> bingo card, go ahead and mark that square. What about Tolstoy? I feel like Tolstoy gets brought up constantly. I know. He's not a Quaker, it's like a slow shift. The things that come up, like no yeah. one's died from tuberculosis in like weeks on this show. Wow. That's weird. Wow. Stunning. Yeah. I guess, and this is the time period where people would, uh, huh. Anyway. Well, the troopies are getting shot, which is, yeah. I guess, the, the way you don't die from tuberculosis. That is the free space, I think. Yeah. One time, and so he just works all these different, every blue collar job this man has. He works at a fish canning factory. And he came up with this really cool protest that I would love to, I would never encourage anyone to break the law. So he talks to all the workers and they start canning all the worst parts of the fish as though they are the finest cuts and put them in the luxury jars. <laughs> and then put all the finest cuts of fish into all the cheap cans like the, <sighs> so that broke people get the good stuff and rich Amazing. people get the gross stuff. But you know that those rich people didn't know the difference. They were like, oh, no. oh, yes, you can tell that this fish was killed, uh, hand filleted by a ceramic knife because of the hints of, and like, motherfucker, that's the guts. I put the guts in there. Anyway, uh, he winds up in Arizona as a miner, going back to his old job, and he winds up getting caught up in something that I'm sure will be an episode, but... Do you ever hear about how more than a thousand workers, mostly wobblies, were forced into a concentration camp in New Mexico for a while? I have vague memories of this, but yeah, I, I don't know anything outside of that sentence effectively. I don't know a ton more than that about it. I have a bunch of books like staring me at the, on my shelf and I'm like, whenever <laughs> I like do an actual just like wobbly focused episode or like a an episode maybe more focused on the border because the industrial workers of the world were... Uh, or whatever, if you've listened to any other episode of this show, you yeah. know about the industrial workers of the world. They are a multiracial labor organization. So he tries to escape from this concentration camp, which is a very natural thing for someone to choose to do. He's captured 
And he, he winds up getting escalated up to a prisoner of war camp because he's a foreign national, right? Jeez. Um, there, he did escape. And he escaped and he lived free for two years. But huh. he was still just a hobo and he was just like hoboing around working, right? Because that's the problem yeah. <laughs> with like being like broke and escaping from jail. I feel like you're rich and escape from jail. I feel like you can kind of just like, it's easier to like lay low maybe, you know? Um, so he gets arrested again and he gets deported back to Germany. But he didn't stick around Germany because he, he liked nature and he hated cities. So Hamburg wasn't going to do it for him. Yeah, and I mean, I think like what one of one of the arcs of world history is everyone who lives in Germany being like this sucks, and then leaving. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, and he he you know he obviously gets out before everything goes real to shit, but he leaves and he's like trying to figure out where to go, and he just hears about this like amazing anarchist scene in Argentina, and he's like, well, I'm a hobo, and I'm like anarchy, I'm going fucking Argentina, you know? God, nothing ever changes about anarchists. No, no. I mean, this is how I moved to Amsterdam. I was like, I heard a bunch of anarchists would come back from Amsterdam telling all these like glorious stories about like fighting cops and squatting and shit, and I was like, I'm gonna go there one day. Much like me, he was arrested immediately when he got to Argentina. (laughs) Oh, I, was no. arrest- I was arrested immediately when I got to Amsterdam. I was like less than 24 hours before I was in foreign detention. But oh, no. I was released the next day. Um, he spent four months in jail. Oof. And it was because they like had, there was like newspaper pictures of him from the US, right? They were like, dangerous, scary, anarchist. He's a fucking pacifist. <laughs> the main thing he's done at this point is not want to be in prison and put fish parts into differently labeled <laughs> canisters it's the and there worst an, crime imaginable yeah the other hemisphere is like we got to get this guy <laughs> he's the fishmonger yeah that's right beware the fishmonger <laughs> and i mean to be fair well, we'll get to it he gets out and he works constantly and he goes hungry so that he can send money to his comrades who are still in prison And he was a writer, too, and he was sending articles to two different anarchist papers in Germany, I think one in Hamburg and one in Berlin, covering what's going on in Argentina, because we used to have foreign correspondents. I guess we actually still do. Hell, there's foreign correspondents, cool zone media. So anyway, at some point along the way, he goes XVX, which is to say he's straight edge vegan, which is probably a bunch Uh, of labels he would not identify with directly because they didn't exist. But he doesn't eat meat or drink alcohol. Um, it was a very common thing for uh, radicals back in the day. For all of his pacifism and theology, he constantly argues against anarchist infighting. He defends the violent insurrectionists and the bomb makers, as well as the like peaceful labor organizers and the mass movement builders. Did I mention I really like him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like the anti-infighting peace guy. He's he's fine with the people who aren't into peace as long as they're on the right side. Anyway, he sees 1,500 comrades die horribly. And he realizes what he has to do. So, nine or ten months before he he does what he does, we'll get to that. I mean, whatever, I called him an assassin. People probably figured out what he does. He realizes what he has to do. So, he, he stops hanging out with his friends. He doesn't want anyone to get caught up as his accomplice. So he just like hmm. ghosts his entire social scene. 
His friends assume he's gone back to the U.S. That's how completely he's avoiding everything. Wow. He goes underground. He's living under another name. To be fair, he has like seven names that he goes by. (laughs) There's like newspaper articles about the scary fishmonger, you know? (laughs) He only meets up with other underground anarchists, the expropriators, future friends of the pod, the anarchist bank robbers that are becoming more and more of a thing in Argentina. And they help supply him with a gun and a bomb. Uh, they might have given him the bomb-making supplies rather than a bomb. Not not certain the details there. So it's January 1923. It's a year since the massacres. And he's like, all right, I'm ready. I'm going to take this guy out. But he's a pacifist, so he has to do it... Well, he was a pacifist. So he has to do it yeah. real carefully. <laughs> he Every morning, he like reads the daily paper on like the tram or whatever on his way to go (laughs) wait outside this guy's house, right? Oh my God. And every day he leaves without doing anything because Varela always walks out escorted by his daughter. Mm. And Varela's like, I'm not a murderer. I cannot put her at risk for, you know, the crimes of her father. Yeah. But on January 25th, 1923... After a week of waiting, Varela comes out, and his daughter's feeling sick, so he escorts her back inside, and then he comes out again alone. Kurt waits for Varela to pass by, and then like, or like, for about about to pass, and then like steps out in front of him. When all the fucking sudden, a little girl crosses the street, like into harm's way. So Kurt grabs the girl's arm and is like, run, a car is coming. And she takes off and he stands where his body is going to shield the little girl from what he's about to do. And he throws a bomb at Varela's feet. They're both hit and they're both injured. Both of Kurt's legs are broken and he knows at this point he's not getting away, right? He sacrificed that option when he chose to save the girl. He pulls out his revolver. He empties it into Varela, killing him while the officer tried and failed to draw his saber. (laughs) And Kurt limps away, dragging one leg. Two cops rush up. He hands them the gun, like handle first, and says, I have avenged my brothers. Oh my God. Yeah. And this, this whole bloody struggle in Patagonia, now Buenos Aires, actually helps cause the division between the government and the military that unfortunately leads to military dictatorship not wilkins but and not even necessarily this assassination but the fact that the government doesn't stand behind the army right ah yeah and even when the varela is dead the government wouldn't honor him and they wouldn't defend his massacre and they wouldn't promote him post after he's dead (laughs) they've done the absolute bare minimum the army is losing their minds absolutely losing their minds yeah but the government, they're liberals, so whenever possible, they're going to stay out of anything they can, right? Yep, yep, yep. Uh, even though Varela did almost certainly exactly what the Radical Civic Union asked him to do. So Kurt's in jail now. They force him to stand on his two broken legs for three hours. Oh. When they ask him who he is, his Spanish is passable. He speaks a fuck ton of languages, right? And so they're like, who are you? And he's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm Kurt, whatever. And then when they ask him about his crime, suddenly he doesn't know any Spanish. <laughs> the only Spanish he says is over and over again as a script. He says, 
I was alone. Intellectual author. I made the bomb without help. Individual act. Amazing. Yeah. And most of his letters from jail are basically like, yeah, they did surgery on me with anesthesia and that sucked and I'll be on crutches forever. Anyway, here's a really, really long list of books I want sent to me immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Most anarchist prisoner. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Prison escape and, oh shit, I can't break out of prison because my legs are broken. Send books. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and also in his letters, he writes some of my favorite things that anyone's ever written. I'm going to... This is something he wrote. A, he's writing a friend about his upcoming trial. He says, quote, Let's not speak of revenge. It wasn't revenge. I didn't see Varela as an ign- insignificant officer. No, he was everything in Patagonia, judge, jury, and executioner. I aimed to strike at the naked idol of a criminal system. But vengeance is unbecoming of an anarchist. Tomorrow, our tomorrow, does not promise quarrels and crime and lies. It promises life, love, and science, and we must work to hasten the coming of that day. That's really beautiful. I know. Like, I I honestly, I use this a lot. I talk about, like, vengeance is unbecoming of an anarchist is something that I talk about a lot, that, like, anarchists are interested in, um, well, people. Everyone's different. Some anarchists do this, some anarchists, some non-anarchists, whatever. You know, I'm not interested in vengeance. I'm interested in solving problems. And sometimes solving problems means uh, physically stopping people, right? Yeah. But the same as I'm not, like, oh... I don't actually want the billionaires dead. I just want them to not be billionaires anymore. Like, and if we can come up with a better way to do that, I'm fucking fine with it, you know? Anyway. Also, the other thing he writes in this letter that I love, he talks shit on the endless infighting and discourse among the anarchists. (laughs) Quote, we must not act like the enemies of La Protesta, which is that mainstream anarchist newspaper and pick apart everything that seems wrong about an action or phrase that seems unclear to us. He who goes looking for evil is generally incapable of generous thought. Perhaps unconsciously, hate turns supposed revolutionaries into enemies of revolution. Only those who fight lies can love truth. So Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's... I mean, this this is this is a this is a very accurate description of the entire experience of being on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Totally. Where you're like, (laughs) what if instead of picking apart everything that everyone has ever said and looking for ways that they're bad, what if instead we look for ways that they're good and encourage them in what they're doing that is good? Wild concept. Like, I don't know, like... Okay, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk about the incredibly bizarre misreading that someone did of the thing I did recently, but like, yeah, you can just not do this and everyone is happier yeah yeah and it's everyone is more productive and you can disagree with people about things and then stay friends with them this is a crazy take i know um my my friend has been telling me for years i'm gonna finally unite the left because they're all gonna (laughs) unite in anger at me for trying to stop them from infighting (laughs) look it's the one thing everyone agrees on (laughs) fuck margaret who's always trying to make us get along well, but, but the thing is, then you you can never disappear 
because the 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 the, the moment that they no longer have you, the invite will come back. So you have to just oh kind of always be there. Oh god, this is my like <laughs> task or whatever the yeah. fuck. Oh my god. Um. Okay. So, Kurt Wilkins doesn't get to write much more than those few letters, because soon enough, before he's sentenced. A far right guy gets a job as a prisoner, uh, not as a prisoner, that's a different kind of job. That one's easy to get. As a prison guard. Oh, God. Specifically for this purpose, comes into his cell at night, wakes him up, and shoots him in the chest. This is this is really the period of anarch- anarchists getting killed in prison, isn't it? Probably. I feel like this is like a bunch of people this happens to it, like around this time. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, and it was absolutely a conspiracy. I'm not a conspiracy minded person but this was just like literally some people got together and were like how do we get this guy into this room to kill this guy they got him in the job at the prison and then when Kurt was transferred this prison guard transferred also you know like wow (laughs) and we'll talk okay so after hours in the infirmary Kurt Gustav Wilkins my favorite assassin of all time goes to the door that each of us will one day go and this is where we get to bring this story full circle Critica, the most popular daily newspaper in the city, the one that um, Unrubia ran, you know, or helped run. Yeah. Runs the headline, Wilkins was cravenly attacked today in the federal prison. And La Protesta wants to call for a general strike. Of course they do. (laughs) But they don't get a chance because someone else makes it happen first. The fucking bakers. Hey! <laughs> since since the first couple parts of this came out more than one baker has reached out to me talking about how cool these episodes are because Aww. of the, the history of radical baking oh i should get a p.o box so people can send me baked goods anyway no i actually wouldn't trust them <laughs> damn it never Aww. mind okay anyway that's so sad the day that kurt wilkins is attacked he's not dead yet raising right? is he he's in the infirmary No pastries are made. No sweets offered to the bourgeoisie. The rest of the unions run to catch up. Even the syndicalists for a nine sign on to the strike. It spreads across the country. Stores won't open their doors, not on the day that Kurt Wilkins, the avenging angel of the working class, was fucking murdered. So the police lay siege to the Baker's Union Hall. Jeez. So Fora, I think Fora, I think anarchist Fora, Calls for a demonstration right next to the police lines. <laughs> not sketchy at all. And the cops open fire. And the bakers and their supporters uh. shoot right back. In the end, there are three deaths. A baker was shot multiple times. A street vendor was trampled by police horses. And a cop got shot three times in the belly. But the workers are weary. And one by one, the unions call off the strike until only the anarchists remain. Five days later, the anarchists lift the strike too. And there are mass gatherings for Kurt Wilkins in Germany and Chile. Christian anarchists publish pamphlets with lines that go hard like this. The people sing their song of death and amidst the tears of mothers. Yeah, yeah, no, right? Oh my God. And amidst the tears of mothers, the illusions of brides and the portentous yearnings of the young. I have no idea what that part means. The world embraces the heart of Jesus and the bomb of Wilkins. Hail anarchy. <laughs> what? <laughs> right, the 
people embrace the heart of Jesus with a bob of Wilkins is maybe the greatest line I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's such a 20s anarchist thing to I know. It's like I know. <sighs> As for the murderer, the murderer, 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 you know, the, 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 it, to be fair, this is why people are pacifists. It's cycles of violence are motherfuckers. So Perez Milan, Mian, Perez Mian is the far-right assassin who killed Kurt. And he was an archetype that we're all familiar with today from mass shooters. He was the troubled child of a privileged home who was obsessed with guns and collected gun magazines from around the world. Oh, he was God. a devout... Has there ever mm-hmm. been, an, has there ever been a, like a third type of person? Like, <laughs> are we just cursed to have the same like type of person doing the same thing on all sides forever? I know. I know. It's the XBX zealot who does the... I mean, whatever. If I was a right-wing person, I'd probably be like, this is the cool guy. Whatever, but I'm not because this guy sucks. Um, he's a devout Catholic. He joined a far right group and signed up to do security, which is like you join a, join a far right group and you want to be the security guy. That's like two strikes, you know? Yep, yep. He fought in the militias in Patagonia, uh, and he had briefly been held hostage by El Toscano, one of the anarchist bandits that we talked about earlier. And so he'd been freed by Varela. So he had he had some skin in the game, right? And so, but as soon as he's out, he's like, man. I, I want to be a man in a uniform. I really like authority, you know? So he joins the Coast Guard, which is the only authority uniform job that'll have him. And then he gets Coast kicked Gu- out oh for being too unhinged. How do you get kicked out of the Coast Guard? It's like... <laughs> I don't know. I I used to have this stalker who got kicked out of the Navy for being too violent. Um, <laughs> so, anyway... <sighs> He likes to say that, uh, not the guy, not my stalker, but Perez Mion. He liked to say that he resigned, but he was absolutely kicked out because he's, there's only one type of human, um, only one type of far-right human. Yeah. He also gave a lot of warning signs about what he was going to do. Specifically, he kept telling everyone loudly over and over again, I am going to avenge Varela's death. <sighs> some higher ups, uh, some higher up force helps his plan, gets him a job in the prisons, he kills Kurt Wilkins. And since it's all a conspiracy, he's given a light sentence and sent to a low-security mental institution. But the thing about the cycle of violence <laughs> and anarchists, <laughs> both are everywhere. Um, so, he's now in this low-security mental institution, and two inmates in the asylum conspire to kill him. Oh my god. One is an old Russian, I think Belarusian, sociologist and aristocrat who had become an anarchist, moved to Argentina, gave everything he had to the movement, and then during the tragic week realized he needed to write propaganda against the pogroms, so he did a robbery, and that's how he ended up in jail, right? Oh my god. He's like actually the guy who kind of started the Argentinian expropriation thing, I think. There's another book, actually also by Octavia, um, not Octavia Butler, uh, Oswaldo Bayer. Um called the anarchist expropriators that I'm going to do an episode about one other. This guy will come back into our history. He's interesting. Hell yeah. But he's old and sick at this point. He's like not doing well in prison and the asylum. And he, um, he didn't have access to Perez. Uh, and he might not have had access to pull the trigger, but he had enough charisma to pull some strings. The other inmate is more prominently a lunatic. Um, and is, but is seen as like a good lunatic. This gets all gets air quotes. 
<sighs> you know, he's an inmate in the asylum. Huh. Has some yeah. mental health issues. And his name is Lusich. And he's either a little person or has uh, kyphosis, which is what people call a hunchback. Um, I don't know which. I've read both. Um, either way. And the aging, frail anarchist gets smuggled a gun from the outside and slips it into Lusich's pocket because Lusich has more freedom of movement around the asylum because everyone trusts him, mm. right? Um, but he's an anarchist too. Well, actually, there's like arguments in history, but I'm like, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I'm going to just tell you what he did, you know? He walks up to Perez. He says, this is from Wilkins. And then kills him. <laughs> the fucking rules. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. And I mean, Wilkins probably would have been mad about this, to be honest. I probably, but, but you know. Whatever. Like... <laughs> he can't make any more decisions. He's dead. So a police investigator unravels the entire plot and arrests the three anarchists who smuggled in the gun, like all five of the anarchists involved are found out, but friend of the pod shut the fuck up comes in. Hey, no one talks. Everyone walks. None of the five anarchists say (laughs) shit. All potential witnesses are untrustworthy. They're inmates of an asylum. Oh my God. (laughs) No one is convicted. I think not even Lucid since he's clearly proven he's already unfit to stand trial. (laughs) Holy shit. That's so good. I know. <laughs> and that's that's what I've got. That's the story. After all of this, Argentina does the dictatorship it's more famous for, and the historian who unearthed all this in the 70s, Osvaldo Bayer, he has to flee the country for writing the book about what I just read to oh, you all. Jeez. Um, so did a bunch of the people who starred in the movie about it. I think the governor who let it be filmed was arrested for letting this movie be made is, um, oh god nationalism is a hell of a drug yeah this is a story that scared the shit out of the right wing of argentina because for decades the official version was the only version that people knew the official version was this weird thing where they both put down bandits who were also somehow an invading army from chile osvaldo bayer wasn't allowed to go back until um he was is out of the country for about 11 years until 1983 when democracy returned And then he stayed radical, right? And he was involved in anti-colonialism and pro-indigenous struggle. And so he has the following. First, he gets declared an illustrious citizen of Buenos Aires by the mayor. And then 15 days later, the Senate declared him persona non grata for trying to unite (laughs) Argentinian and Chilean Patagonia. Being like, no, fuck this. Why are any of these things fucking Argentina? That's bullshit. Uh, That's incredible. Yeah. That's the uh, story. That's the story that there's a reason that there's a, this podcast exists is because there are so many pieces. There's 68 and there's Don Rubia and there's Wilkins and there's Radowitzki and there's so many things and there's two. How many? At least two different groups of anarchists literally ride horses into the sunset. Yeah. Like they get away with murder. I, yeah. This is so. Three groups cross into Chile, never to be heard from his. Well, okay. So Soto actually does come back into history about 10 years later. He like shows back up and he opens a hotel and he stays radical. He, he doesn't like keep shooting guns and robbing. Well, he was never really into the gun stuff. He was more of an organizer. He like. He's a little bit settled down in his old age, which I don't blame him for. But he like runs a hotel and lets radicals meet there and he and he lives a you know but yeah, everyone else rides off into the sunset or dies. So yeah. 
Anyway, what I got. Yeah, I mean, this is like this is definitely one of those because I think I think the one the, the thing about the way that anarchist history is remembered is that I feel like every every few years someone remembers like a third or like a fourth or like a fifth thing that anarchists did. And yeah. so for a while it was like, well, the only two anarchist things ever were like Machno and the Spanish Civil War. And then people were like, wait, there was that thing in Korea. Yeah. And so that was like number three. Yeah. Although, I mean, and then and it's like it's like every every sort of like every time you put more of the pieces together, it's like, wait, no, hold on. These people were like anarchists were the the, the majority of socialists in most of the world for a long time, and obviously they were doing a bunch of stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and everyone's like, "What? No true Scotsman in it?" Where they're like, "Oh, well, those people weren't anarchists; they were just militantly involved in an anarchist-run organization run by anarchists." And you're like, "How are we defining uh-huh. anarchist here?" Yeah, it's like, do you have to have like, is it? Do we just do we have anarchy cards now? Like, I know. is it by like number of punk albums you can list? Like, what what is what is the criteria here? I once asked, um, I once asked Ursula Le Guin if she was an anarchist, and she said no because I. I, I'm not enough of an activist. I haven't done enough. And I was like, can we claim you? And she was like, I'd be honored. So, Aww. so fuck all the gatekeeping. Let's, you know? Like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. if, if she doesn't think she could count, I'm like, there's not a lot of people I would count higher than her. No, you know? like, like, well, like, like a quarter of them died in this story. So like, yeah. you know, yeah, totally. All right. Well, that's uh, the end of the story. The nothing else ever happened. Uh, that's the end of history. Um, but if people want to know about current events, what should podcast that you run should they? This is the plug transition. It's really smooth. plug time. Yeah, so I do a podcast. It's called It Could Happen Here. Other people are also doing it. And it is about to be Spooky Week. Spooky Week coming up. If you're listening to this the day it comes out, Spooky Week will be the end of this week and the beginning of next week because Halloween's on a Tuesday for some reason. But yeah, there will be it will be spooky. Uh, I can promise slavery. Uh, yeah. That's, what? That, that there, <laughs> Slavery and chocolate is what, is what, I, what, I, what, what? I, what I will promise you from my Spooky Week thing. But I don't uh, like one of those things. <laughs> It's not great. It's really. I was like, oh, I'm going to do a lighthearted episode about chocolate. That I was, I was, I was like, okay. So there was a slavery part that I knew about, and then as I was researching it, there was the second slavery part, and I was like, I love that you ah. were like, I'm going to do an episode about candy. But if you dig into the history of fucking anything, you just mm-hmm. find depressing human misery and yeah, yeah, yeah. So so now everyone else is going to experience it, but it's going to be good. I promise. All right. <laughs> and, all right. Yeah. Well, folks should check that out. And they should also check out on this feed and It Could Happen Here's feed. Every Sunday, we have a book club. And it's naturally spooky because I wrote a horror novella, and that's what y'all are going to hear. This You're going to hear the final part four of four parts, much like this was four parts. It's just a coincidence. Stop thinking about everything in terms of numbers. That's what you can listen to on Sunday. It's called The Lamel Slaughter of the Lion. And next week we have our own spooky week. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to tell you what it's about yet. You're going to have dun, to wait. Dun. I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> Sophie, what do you got to plug? 
Uh, just at Cool Zone Media on wherever social media still exists that you're willing to look at. Woo! See y'all later. Bye. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.